Tommy, this is Joseph. He's seven, and he's been dying to ask you a question. He's a Panini Kid reporter. It's a good question, too. What's up, Joseph? Hi. How you doing? Good. Many people say you're their hero, but who's your hero? Who's my hero? All right. It's a great question. Well, I think my dad is my hero because he's someone that I look up to every day. And uh, my dad. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. It's great to be worshiping with you today. Want to shout out everyone who's at our Mesa campus, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, our chapels online. We're grateful that we get to worship the Lord together. God is so good. Uh, I'm thankful for the victory that we have in Jesus, aren't you? Well, hey, today I want to talk about how to be a good dad. Uh, As you saw in that video, dads make a huge impact in our lives, don't they? Whether for good or for, uh, for bad. Uh, A father has a monumental impact on his children. So this week is kind of part two to last week's sermon where I talked about how you have a good father in heaven regardless of whether or not you had a good father on earth. And pretty much every single one of us, because we're human and we're sinners uh, by nature, we will fail our children as fathers. So every father will eventually in some way let his kids down, and that's why all of us have to forgive our earthly dad so that we can experience healing in our hearts through our heavenly father, amen? And then as you forgive your dad, I want you to understand that it's not really for him, it's, it's for you. It's for you so that you can be healthy, uh, and when you forgive, it doesn't mean you forget. It doesn't mean you have to, to have no consequences or, or that the relationship has to stay the same. Uh, but in some situations, the relationship does have to change. But forgiveness is letting go of the sin, letting go of bitterness and, and the need to retaliate or get even. You say, I'm going to trust God for justice. My job is to do good to those who curse me. And, and out of forgiveness... God brings us healing, healing. And we, we receive God's perfect love. Uh, the love of our earthly dads will always come up short, but the love of our Father in heaven never fails. So as we receive his earthly love, then we can turn around as men and we can, we can give that kind of love to our kids and help them understand the perfect love of God. Aren't you grateful for God's perfect love today? Amen. Well, I think every dad wonders at some point, am I a good dad? Am I doing a good job? And some of you guys, the answer is yes. You are a good dad. You're doing a better job even than you think you are. And uh, none of you are perfect. None of us are perfect. And you don't have to be perfect to be a good dad. You might listen to this sermon today and, and feel encouraged. And maybe you'll see a few areas where you could do even better. But I want you to be encouraged. You don't have to be perfect to be a good father. And actually, it's in your failures that you can teach your children about the mercy and grace of God. And that's part of what makes you a good dad. Others of you, the answer is no, you're not a good dad at all. Honestly, maybe you're keeping your kids alive and feeding them and putting a roof over their head. uh, But the government can do that. 
You're not getting a trophy for father of the year if that's all you do. And, and maybe hearing that is hard. You can get mad at me and make excuses or uh, blame other people. Or you can just take responsibility today like a man and do better going forward. And I want you to understand if you're new to our church, when we're confrontational, when I'm direct about stuff like this, it's not because you know, we hate you and we want to beat you up about your past. It's actually because we love you. We want to build you up so you can do better in the future. The good news, that's right, the good news is that if you are a bad dad, if you have been a bad dad, you can be forgiven by your father in heaven and you can leave here guilt-free today. So today I'm going to talk practically about how to be a good dad and it's not based on my experience, it's based on the word of God. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, you can stay there in your Bible if you want to follow along today. It'll be up on the screen as well. But in this chapter, we see Moses, who was like a spiritual father and leader to the nation of Israel. He led them out of captivity in Egypt. Now he's giving them a farewell speech before they enter the promised land, giving them some instruction. And we know that you know, a farewell speech is probably pretty important and something that we should take uh, seriously. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey then all will go well with you when you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Okay, so here in this passage, I think we get an overarching strategy for how to be a good father and even how to be a good mother. There's a way you need to live and some things you need to do and some lessons you need to teach your kids to be a good parent. Ultimately, a father is the spiritual head of his household. And you probably heard the, the saying, heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's true. Like As the spiritual leader, there's glory in that, but there's a greater level of responsibility in that as well. When you're the father of your children, you're responsible for leading them to know the Lord, and you know your actions will have a monumental impact in their lives. And hear me on this, dads, because I know some of you might have some, some prodigal children who have run from the Lord, even though you tried your best to teach them about God. You are not responsible for their choices. You are responsible for your choices, your actions, and that you did your part, uh, and you know how they impact your kids. So I'm going to give you some practical things today. You could, you could write these down. You could follow along. Uh, but here are some things that good dads do. First, good dads commit wholeheartedly. You cannot be a half-hearted Christian and a good dad at the same time. It is impossible. 
In Deuteronomy 6, he said, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. You've got to go all in. Otherwise, it's the blind leading the blind. And what we see in a lot of families is they struggle because you've got spiritual babies raising actual babies. So there's three aspects of commitment, three people you need to commit to. The first is you need to commit yourself to the Lord. That's the number one priority is you go all in to serve Jesus and follow him. This is where you say, Jesus is my master and I am his servant. In verse 5 it said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. This isn't just, you know, on the annual survey when you, when you fill out, you know, religious affiliation, you check the box Christian and, and that's it. This isn't the dad who just goes to church on Christmas and Easter. No, this is like in Paul, Paul said in Romans 6, he said, you used to be a slave to sin, but praise God, now you get to be a slave to, to God and a slave to righteousness. Like, it's actually good to be a slave to God. It's saying, you know, not my will, but his will be done. I'm not living for myself, I'm living for him. It's not my glory, but it's his glory that I seek. As you submit yourself to Jesus as your Lord, not just your Savior, that's when you experience God's blessing in your life. And you've got to get that figured out in order to be a good father. Because I know we got some dads in the church today, you're kind of on the fence, you're kind of lukewarm, you're kind of half in, you're feeling your way around, you're like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out this Christianity thing and what I really believe and and your your mediocrity and apathy towards the Lord is jacking your kids up I'll tell you what the single most important thing that my dad did for me was be faithful to God that's more important than anything he actually did with me then here's the second thing you need to commit yourself to your wife so this is a lesson for all the men you need to commit yourself to your wife this is where you say I'm going to lead her I'm going to care for her I'm going to stick by her side. Uh, unfortunately, today, divorce is pretty common. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. So sometimes divorce happens and it can't be helped. But it's definitely not God's plan, and it's not something to take lightly like the world does. In the Bible, it gives two, possibly three, justifiable reasons for divorce in God's sight. The first would be adultery. Someone is unfaithful. The second would be abandonment. If you're abandoned by the unbeliever, Paul says, let them go and live in peace. And then third, in general, could possibly be grounds for divorce when you have hardness of heart. Like Jesus was referring to, you might have one person, their heart is completely hardened. There is no love. There is no affection. There is no kindness. The relationship is just dead. Um, But otherwise, we're not supposed to get divorced. The number one common reason for divorce today is irreconcilable differences. In other words, that means I just don't want to. What we see today is women initiate the majority of divorces by a lot But men initiate the majority of stupidity. (laughs) And so then what happens is ladies become fearful. Wives become fearful. Well, he's never going to turn it around, and I'm not going to be okay, and and I won't be happy. But, But fear that your marriage won't get better is not a justifiable reason for divorce in God's sight, regardless of what your friends tell you. 
So listen, if you got divorced for an unjustifiable reason, I'm not saying this to shame you or bring guilt to you. There is a way to be free from guilt. You repent. You take responsibility for what you did wrong. You ask God for forgiveness, and you commit yourself to living rightly going forward. But I talk to couples on the brink of divorce every week. Every week. It's like just another Wednesday for me. I'm talking to people about divorce. And they always act like it's inevitable. And I want you to know it's not. Regardless of how bad it might look, whenever you have two people who are willing to do the work, you can turn a marriage around more often than not. Sometimes you can't because it does take two people to commit. But it's not inevitable that your marriage would end in divorce. And there's a great lie in the world today that Christians get divorced just as often as the rest of the world. That's not true. In 1997, a Gallup poll was done, and Christian couples who went to church regularly and prayed together regularly only got divorced 1% of the time. 99% success rate. And building a lasting godly marriage is one of the best things that a father can do for his children. They'll do better in school, they'll be less likely to struggle with depression or anxiety or engage in risky sexual behavior. Uh, if you experience brokenness in your family growing up, God can still heal you and be the father to you that you never had. But we know for those of you who are dads, maybe you're considering giving up on your marriage, don't give up. Because I think, honestly, after being faithful to God, the second most important thing my dad did for me was stay faithful to my mom. See, a dad loving his wife well and consistently is the second most important thing he can do for his kids. It brings security and stability and comfort and peace to their hearts, and it reflects the faithful love of Jesus for his church. It demonstrates to sons what a man does, and it demonstrates to daughters what a man should do. So you commit to, each other, you commit to God, you commit to each other, and then third, you need to commit to your kids. Commit yourself to your kids. Parents, you got to make sure you get this in the right order. First priority is your relationship with God. Second priority is your relationship with each other, married people, uh, husband and wife. Third on the priority list, distant third, is the kids. All right? And if you put the kids too high on the priority list, you've already let them down. A committed father's not just involved in his kids' lives, he's intentional. So that means... He goes to work, he works hard, he pours himself out, he comes home, he parks in the driveway, he utters a prayer to God for strength, he goes in the door and starts his next shift as dad. And he's tired. But he gets down on the floor and he plays with his kids. And he's tired, but he helps his wife and he takes out the trash and he helps with bath time and then he falls down in bed exhausted, completely spent, to do it again five more days. And on the seventh day, you can rest, right? But I know you got a lot going on. I know you're tired, uh, and you might not always feel like being involved and intentional with your kids, but you have to suck it up and do your job. Dad, there's going to be a whole phase of your life when your kids are little, especially, where you probably won't have time for hobbies or video games, and that's okay. Your hobby is your kids. If they want to play Fortnite, play Fortnite. If your daughter wants to have a princess tea party, your favorite thing now is wearing a tiara. You just do it. 
Because when you're lying on your deathbed someday, you're not going to be celebrating that hole-in-one you got or the level you achieved on Call of Duty. You're going to be thanking God for the kids holding your hands as you pass into eternity. That's what really matters. So, so dads, uh, my question is, when you die, uh, is it going to be sadness for your kids or good riddance? For many kids, it's sad when their dad dies, but not because he was a good father, but rather they know now that their opportunity to ever experience a good father is over. But if you're still living, there's still time to do better. Whether your kids are young or old, if you have breath in your lungs, you can still be a loving father to them. Here's the next thing. Dads teach on the go. Dads teach on the go. This is biblical. So family Bible study time, family devotions, that can be cool. Uh, But I would encourage you as your pastor, when you do it, keep it short. If you do it, keep it real short. Because it's honestly better to leave them wanting more than to wear them out. The heart can only receive what the seat can endure. That's one of my preaching mottos. It's a lot more impactful to teach them as you go about your daily life. This is biblical. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, repeat these commands. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. So it's like a way of life more than a structured devotional time. The best way to teach your kids about God is as you go about your life. Because then you're not just telling them you're showing them, you're adding color, you're explaining as you go. So it might be you're like driving in the car and you're just sharing with your kids. You know, kids, I was reading the Bible the other day and I saw this, isn't that cool? Or maybe then like someone cuts you off and instead of cussing that person out, you go, okay, kids, uh, dad's really mad right now because that guy's a terrible driver. But uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. So it's okay to be angry, but right now I'm not going to sin. I'm going to forgive that guy even though he's a terrible driver. Have I mentioned that? Uh, because I've also offended God, yet he forgave me. So we should forgive others when they wrong us. Your kids will be like, what? <laughs> you might be watching a movie, and maybe a couple of characters on the screen uh, you know, have like a budding romance, or they fall in love, or they kiss, or maybe even a lot of times today some kind of sex scene will pop up. And, and you could just fast forward through that, but your kids will be sitting there confused. Like, why is dad editing what we're watching? It's even more impactful to pause and talk about what you just saw whether it was good or bad, and you can explain, hey, kids, let me explain what it looks like to date in a godly way. Let me talk about how sex was created by God, and it's good, but only in the proper context within marriage, outside of the right context. It's not good. It's actually a burden. And and let me talk about this, kids. Like, like sometimes you see people engaging in sexual activity, and and you could even feel excitement emotionally or physically, uh, but you need to know that it's not good for you to see that until the time comes to experience that. And and even then, you only want to experience that with your own wife, not with images on a screen, because that's not good to you. So, So when your friends at school show you a picture on their phone, what would you do? This is like as you go, you're teaching them. 
You might see a homeless person on the side of the road who's dirty and scary, and you can tell your kids, hey, kids, that's the kind of person that Jesus touched, the, pe- the people that no one else wanted to have anything to do with. Or you might hear a scary news broadcast about things going on in the world, and you can pause it, and you can say, hey, kids, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, you know what we need to do? The Bible says to not worry about anything, but pray about everything and and ask God for help and thank him for what he's done. And then you'll experience peace that surpasses understanding that will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. And then you just lead them in prayer. Just as you go, you're teaching them. Francis Chan's an author, a former pastor. He talked about how uh, one time his daughter came home from school and she had gotten a really bad grade on a test. And he really emphasized good grades with his kids. And he knew that his daughter had failed to study properly for this test. And so normally there would be some repercussions like loss of privileges and TV time. But instead, this time he decided uh, to take her out to get ice cream. And as they sat there eating ice cream, he asked his daughter, "Uh, honey, do you know why you're eating ice cream right now? And she said, no. He said, it's not because you got a good score on your test, is it? She said, no, dad. He said, the reason you're eating ice cream right now is because I'm your dad and I love you and I give good gifts to you as my daughter, uh, not based on what you do, but based on who you are. And this is the same way God the Father loves us. Not based on what we do, but because we're his children. And you can turn an everyday moment into a gospel teaching moment. A godly father teaches his children to fear the Lord and obey his word. That means respect the Lord and fear the consequences of sin. But listen, dads, you won't teach your kids if you're not fully committed yourself. If you're not all in, you'll have no conviction. And you'll be another one of those dudes making excuses like, well, they've got to make their own decisions. And I don't want to force my beliefs on them. And really, it's because you're half-hearted in your faith, and you know you can't uh, genuinely uh, promote faith to them. Nobody who's all in would actually say that. Anybody who actually loves the Lord knows he's the only way. He's the only way to be saved. And if you love your kids, you'll tell them that. Uh, Like in Deuteronomy 6, Moses said, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. This isn't the guy who says, they've got to figure it out for themselves. They've got to to choose their own way. I can't force my beliefs on them. No, this guy's saying, the Lord is our God, only the Lord. Like all the other religions and ideologies of the world are lies from hell meant to lead people to hell. And when you're fully committed with the Lord, you know that the most important thing for your children is to also know Jesus. And it's your job to warn them about the lies and deceptions of the enemy and lead them to the one true God so that they can live long and be blessed. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. He might swerve off course a little bit as an 18-year-old, but eventually he will come back. You've got to teach them when, when they're young some really important key lessons. Uh, for example, I think you've got to teach them that they're made in the image of God so that they will know ultimately who they should imitate, their creator. They need to know that God's ways are better than our ways. 
They, they need to be taught to seek the approval of their father in heaven and not the approval of people around them. They need to learn that value is determined by what someone else is willing to pay. And that they have infinite value proven by the fact that Jesus was willing to lay down his life to save them and redeem them. Your goal is to train them up so well that they would have to be absolute hard-headed fools to go any other way. Right? I believe this, that a good dad makes it hard for his kids to go to hell. Not easier by hurting them or living as a hypocrite. Listen, dads, if you only ever point out their failures, it's not helping. If you say you're a Christian and worship God with your mouth and then speak harshly to your kids with the same mouth, it's not helping. When dad is supposed to represent the unfailing love of the father and then he abandons his wife for a younger model after he promised before God till death do his part, it doesn't help his kids take the unfailing love of God seriously. Some of you might be on the brink of divorce today and you resist that and you say, but I'm not happy. I want you to understand, nobody cares about your happiness. Your happiness doesn't matter to God and it doesn't matter to your kids. Happiness comes and goes. It's fleeting emotion. I feel happy when I eat a bacon cheeseburger, and I feel sad when I have to digest the same bacon cheeseburger. (laughs) Comes and goes. I feel happy when the Cardinals are winning. I feel sad in the second half of the season. (laughs) Right? See, if you chase after happiness, you'll only ever find emptiness. But when you chase after faithfulness, you find God's satisfaction. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who are faithful receive blessing, which brings joy and lasting satisfaction. When you pursue a lifetime of faithfulness, you will get plenty of moments of happiness thrown in for free. So the best thing you can do for your kids is be faithful to God and follow in his ways. And when you feel like giving up, just remind yourself it's not all about me. I need to think less about myself and more about my kids' souls. In Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. I wanted to point this verse out. This is actually a really interesting scripture verse that a lot of Christians like to pretend is not in the Bible. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Uh, so when I, when I as a pastor like tell people to do something, it's only ever um, when God has already told them to do that thing. And so when I say like you should do this, what I'm really saying is God says you should do this. And it's because um, I want you to be blessed and experience all of God's favor in your life. And a lot of Christians, though, they're like, okay, well, I'll do what you say if I agree with it, if I want to do it, if I like it. And it only brings hardship and suffering to them. But really what I'm doing is, is I know I'm accountable to God for your soul. And people will point at this, vo- this, this verse and they'll, they'll criticize their pastors and they'll post blogs about them and they'll, they'll badmouth them on social media and, and they'll say, well, I'm just holding them accountable. Well, but notice it says they're not accountable to you. 
They're accountable to God. And that's why I'm direct with our church when I preach. That's why I'm, I'm bold and even confrontational and challenging sometimes because I want to be clear with you. I want to warn you about danger. I want to instruct you in the ways of the Lord because I know I will answer to God for what I did uh, in, in this position as a pastor. And uh, the reason I'm talking about this right now is because there are a lot of parents who will rebel against the spiritual authority of their leaders and then turn around and be surprised when their children rebel against their spiritual authority. Because parents, you are the spiritual leaders of your children. And it's your job to watch over their souls. Uh, it gives a parent great joy to see his children obey the Lord and be blessed. And it causes a parent great suffering and sadness to see his children uh, disregard the commands of the Lord and experience the pain that comes with that. And so I would encourage you, parents, to remember your role as the spiritual leader of your children. You will answer to God for how you led them and loved them as their parents. That means it's a priority to teach them about the Lord. That means it's a priority to bring them to church. Every time I hear a parent say, I want my kids to come to church, but they don't want to come. I'm always just so confused. I'm like, but you're the parent. They live in your house. It's your house. It's your rules. When they grow up and get their own place, they can do what they want. But when they live in your house, going to church is not optional. It is not optional at all. So the only reason you wouldn't make them go is because you don't want to deal with the arguing. And that is a cop-out and a failure of responsibility. The best thing you can do for your kids is teach them about the Lord and lead them to his house. Prioritize teaching them about Jesus and training them up in that way. Here's the next thing. God, uh, good dads discipline their kids. Good dads discipline their kids. This is an important subject. Uh, it doesn't mean just spanking them or grounding them or yelling at them or taking things away. But discipline is training, it's rebuking, it's correction, it's teaching. Uh, the goal is not just to punish, but to build them up into men and women of God. In Proverbs 3, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So you got parents today, uh, these like millennial hipster parents growing up who are like, I don't punish my kids. I don't tell them what to do. I'm here to be their friend. And it's like you actually hate your kids. You might think you love them, but functionally you hate them if you live that way and refuse to discipline them. Because look what it says. The Lord disciplines those he loves. You should only discipline the kids you love. In Hebrews 12 it says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So parents have to be intentional to give their kids painful consequences for wrongdoing because a little pain now prevents a lot of pain later. Yes. I read a story about ranchers. Uh, when they have young cattle, they'll, they'll feed the cattle a, a little taste of poisonous plant, and they'll sear them with a hot iron at the same time so that they associate pain with this poison and later don't stumble into it and consume enough to kill them. 
that's kind of a brutal illustration, but the principle is true. A little bit of discipline now brings a, a bit of pain that gets associated with wrongdoing that prevents your kids from wandering into to greater trouble later. The way that you do this will change as they grow older, and it'll need to be catered to their personalities. An intentional father will discipline each child according to that child's needs and personalities. Some kids need more than others. I got disciplined way more than my siblings, but I needed it. Some kids respond to different types of discipline better than others. Some kids, if you ground them, they'll lose their mind and they will never do it. Like other kids, they need to get whooped. And on that note, this is about to be my favorite part of the sermon. I'd say uh, most young kids need to be spanked. And I'm not talking about beating them. The older generations, maybe they were too harsh and aggressive in physical punishment. The younger generations tend to not do it enough. But for thousands of years, kids got spanked. And people today will look back on that with, with pride and arrogance and say, oh, that was so barbaric. But look what we've got today. We've got a society that's barbaric because lots of people are running around now in positions of authority who never got spanked as children by loving fathers. I know some, some parents right now are like, oh, I'm never coming back to this church. It's better you figure that out sooner than later. I mean, honestly, we need your seat. Um, So when kids get older and bigger, you'll have to change methods. But the key to punishment is that consequences need to be painful. In Proverbs 29, 15, it says, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Like, I know some angry mom right now is typing me a message like, I would never discipline. I would never spank my children like that. And physically, like spank them. I'm like, we can tell. We've met your kid. And like maybe you have strong-willed boys, hard-headed, and you're like, I tried spanking them. It didn't work. Well, you need to try harder. <laughs> My parents, they had like levels of escalation. It was like DEFCON 5, DEFCON 4. Like every day, little swats in the fanny with their hands. And then like, you know, sometimes the next level is my mom. She would bring out the wooden spoon. I think she had a subscription to woodenspoons.com because she'd be like, whops, nothing hurt. Like, but she'd break those things all the time on me. And then, you know, for real serious infractions, she would say, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> right? Just like, just waiting was like the majority of the punishment. Just living in angst, knowing your dad's coming home. And on one hand, he's going to be disappointed to find out that you were bad, on the other hand, then you're going to have to deal with the consequences, and all day you're just like watching out the window. <laughs> and, and how many of you went to the bathroom and you stuffed toilet paper in your underwear? <laughs> right? And then my dad would come home and take his belt off. <laughs> that sound of, of the belt coming out of the belt loops, that's the sound of justice. But I was a hard-headed boy. Proverbs 29 says, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And I think spanking, uh, punishment needs to be serious. Like, and, and you don't want to be so harsh that you break their spirit. 
but you want to break their will to rebel. I remember one time when I was a boy, my dad was giving me a whooping, and I thought I was tough, and I turned around, and I said, oh, yeah, that didn't hurt. And he was super chill, super chill guy. He said, oh, really? I can help with that. And so he did it again, but with extra love this time. I learned that lesson one time. One time. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. But physical discipline will drive it far away. Some kids, they have the faces of angels and the hearts of a demon. Because we're inherently sinful, your kids, they have foolishness in their heart. And the goal is to lovingly drive it out when they're young so that it doesn't destroy them when they're grown. And there are people who are like, spanking is abusive. Uh, And there are people who have taken it too far. Not every kid needs to be spanked all the time. Some kids, it wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe they have special needs. Maybe they're foster kids. You can't spank certain situations. Uh, But for most kids, not spanking them is abusive. I remember one time when I was real bad, my dad gave me one of the top three whoopings of my life. I mean, he he was whipping me with his belt so hard that the, the varnish off of his cheap belt came off on my skin. And, and even in that moment, I knew he loved me, and I knew I deserved it. <laughs> like, and the fact that my dad was willing to spank me when he so didn't want to proved that he loved me. In Proverbs 23, it says, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. So it's not just consequences, it's training. Uh, So you might spank them, you might ground them, you might take something away. But you want to connect punishment to training, to teaching and love, okay? So whenever my parents spanked us, they would also teach us what we did wrong and what's right. And they would follow up painful touch with loving touch. So you get spanked and then you get hugged. Uh, With my little daughter, Lila, she's adorable. She's a little over two now, and she's starting to get her first swats. Her mama, you know, will give her a little smack on the hand, and not all the time, but but sometimes she'll, she'll just get that rebellious look on her face, and she'll do that thing kids do where you'll be like, no, you better not, and they're just like, what are you gonna do? Right, And they're just testing the boundaries, and you need to teach them uh, when it's about something little so that later it doesn't destroy them when it comes to something greater. We need her to learn to listen now so that later she'll learn to listen when we tell her not to run out into the middle of a street in front of an oncoming car or when she's about to try to date some dirtbag boy. Like, <laughs> she knows we want to keep you safe. As you discipline children, always remember to to discipline them the way that God the Father disciplines us. In Romans 2, 4, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, God is not harsh with us. He's not quick to hurt us or inflict punishment and pain he's he's kind he's tolerant he's patient and he does discipline and he does let us experience consequence but it's his kindness that leads us to repentance not his harshness even painful discipline can be kind and loving and so then I want to preach on this next part when it comes to discipline sometimes dads get carried away and they can do damage so 
Let me hit on this. Good dads are reasonable. They're reasonable. This is an area where I think a lot of Christian dads get into trouble because the Bible doesn't uh, explicitly spell out all the ways a dad could be unreasonable. But it says in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? Do not provoke them to anger. I, I like in the amplified version, it adds color to it. It says, do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference. So, so dads, you need to be good to your kids because you illustrate the Father in heaven. You need to raise them up like God the Father would. Otherwise, your unreasonableness could drive them away from God to the clutches of the enemy. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. And I think there are unloving, unreasonable fathers who cause their children to sin. Some of you might cause your little children, your little ones, to sin if you do some of the following. If you show favoritism to one child and make the other child feel unloved. If you tease your kids and call them names and joke about things from their past that they're sensitive about just to get a laugh at their expense, you could cause them to sin. If you ignore them and refuse to pay attention to them, some of your kids sin just to get your attention. If you're indifferent to what's going on and you don't set boundaries, that can provoke them to anger. Uh, if you let problems or ongoing conflict in your house go unaddressed, that can provoke them to anger. If you stand back and let your wife Treat your kids unreasonably without intervening. It's your responsibility as the head of the household. And sometimes even your wife might get a little out of hand. You might need to step in, and that's your responsibility. If you don't, you could cause one of these little ones to sin. If you force your kids to hang out with toxic relatives because you're more loyal to your extended family than your own children, you could cause them to sin. If you as a parent have parents that are inappropriate or your extended family is doing stuff that's disrespectful or wrong and you're not protecting your kids from that. If you make them feel like you care more about your job than them. If you treat your wife badly in front of your kids, that will definitely provoke them to anger. If you act like a religious hypocrite, one way at church in a completely different way at home, or if you only use religion as a hammer to beat them down instead of build them up, or if you're overly strict and nitpicky, constantly calling out everything that they do wrong. They need you to be an advocate and a cheerleader, not a critic, right? So some of you have really blown it in some of these areas. And if that's true, if that's you, you need to go and apologize to your children and maybe your wife as well and take ownership 
like a man. Take responsibility for what you've done wrong and ask God for forgiveness and ask them for forgiveness and then do better going forward. Even if you're older, I know we have older people in the church who you have grown children, uh, it's a great time. You can go to them after church. You can send them a text, you can call them, and you can take responsibility. Say, like, I'm sorry for the ways I let you down. And I think it's best to even be specific about some examples. Otherwise, they'll be inclined to want to cover up your failures. Like, no, 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 you didn't do anything. You're a good dad, right? And and if you know there are some things you did wrong, you need to, to specifically address those things and say, when I did this, when I did this, when I did this. Because what will happen is, is your humility will actually result in mercy. And it will bring forgiveness and healing to the relationship. And even if you had a good relationship, it will get even stronger as a result. But it says in Colossians 3.21, fathers, don't upset your children. If you're too hard to please, they might want to stop trying. Some of your kids gave up trying to please you because they learned it was a losing prospect. Why does this happen sometimes? Why why are there fathers or mothers that can be too hard to please? Um, It's it's understandable why that happens. Sometimes it's because you can accidentally start to view your kids as an accomplishment. Or, or something to be achieved. And, and you should be proud of raising successful kids, but make sure it's for them and not just for you. Uh, another thing is don't be the dad who lives vicariously through his kids. Like maybe you never got to live out your dream, so don't turn around and put pressure on your kids. Uh, it's better for you to get your own life. Uh, don't be the, the dad or the mom who lives in fear. I understand that what that's like, you live in fear that your kids will get hurt, that they won't live up to their potential, that they'll turn into bums and never move out of your house. So you start pushing them harder and harder, and you get stricter and stricter, and eventually you can drive them away to the point where it feels that they lost their parent and they just gained a disciplinarian. What happens is sometimes parents go so far overboard trying to discipline their kids, they accidentally end up driving them away. And, of course, we want to do good, but ultimately our, our, our hope is in the Lord, and we have to put all of our kids in God's hands at the end of the day and trust God to take care of them. We want to hold them accountable, but not at the expense of showing them God's grace. Amen? Amen. Okay, so in closing, it's the last point. A good dad raises sons who want to be like him and daughters who want to marry a man like him. There was a day a couple weeks ago when uh, I was kind of tired. I had a lot to do for work, but I decided this is the time I'm taking out my daughter Lila on her first daughter-daddy date. So I took her out, and uh, we had a great time. First she got ready. She kind of had like her makeup kit, and uh, she got her Minnie Mouse shirt on, and she brushed her hair and had like her fake nail polish she was doing. Uh, Then I took her to fine dining experience at Chick-fil-A, And we sat in the front of the car. She ate chicken nuggets and fries and drank apple juice. And she loved it. And I just basically sat there like hand-fed her like a little princess. Uh, Then I took her to Target because what little white girl doesn't love Target? (laughs) And I just let her walk around and shop and pick out toys. I think I probably spent like $100 on her. I just let her pick out whatever she wanted. And then I took her to the duck park and we fed ducks and we played. and, 
And I wanted to spend intentional time with her. And I would encourage those of you who have different, you have multiple kids, spend time with your kids individually, one-on-one. Because it lets them be themselves uh, separate from the birth order, which sometimes kind of locks kids into specific roles. So spend time with them one-on-one. They'll remember those moments. I remember times when my dad took me fishing or on trips by myself. Um, But what I want to do is give my daughter love and, and attention and affirmation so that as she grows up, she'll always know that she's loved and she won't crave those things from some other boy. (laughs) A lot of girls go crazy for attention from boys because they never got it from dad. And I'm trying to love her in a way now that I can set a high standard she'll hold any future potential husband to so that she will not tolerate fools. That's my prayer. But ultimately, that means I have to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus, which is Jesus is the ultimate example uh, for us, the perfect man. And if you want to be like him, you have to live for him. It, It says in Deuteronomy 6, 8, about the commands of the Lord. It says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on your doorposts over your house and at your gates. Uh, you'll see Orthodox Jews who will have actual little boxes on their forehead tied there with little scrolls inside with the commands of the Lord on them. I don't think you actually have to do that. It would be an interesting fashion statement. But the, the point and the principle is that God's word should drive all of your actions and all of your thoughts and decisions. And your doorposts, that signifies your household. Uh, You're saying that my entire household, we are defined by the Lord and his word, and we serve him. And on your gates, that's that's a public place. It's saying you should live in a way that everyone sees you're different. No one should be surprised to find out you're a Christian. Like, oh, you're a Christian, really? That's a, that's a warning. That's a red flag right there. Uh, and you might have done a great job as a father so far, and hopefully this message is mostly just encouraging to you. Um, or maybe you've come up short, but if that's you, today is the day you can turn it around. You can turn around and do better. Whether your kids are young or grown or somewhere in between, they need a good dad today. And I want to also encourage you, those of you who don't have a father in the household, there are men of God in this church family who are willing and ready to step in and be like a father to your children. There are a lot of good examples of bold, godly men in this church, so no child has to experience fatherlessness. One pastor I know talked about how the world sees two kinds of masculinity, alphas and betas, lions and sheep, but that's a false dichotomy. There's a better example, a better kind of man exemplified by Jesus. And as a a dad, our goal uh, is to raise sons to be not just like us, but like Jesus. Jesus is a perfect example of true masculinity. He was the lamb of God and he was the lion of Judah. He exemplifies sacrifice and victory. Uh, He came with truth and grace. Jesus is both tough 
and he's tender. One moment he was screaming at the Pharisees who were religious hypocrites, and the next minute he was playing with little kids and saying, let them come to me. Uh, And so we need to be like Jesus. A man who's always only tough is not a good man. A man who's always only tender is not a good man. A weak man tends to be tender towards himself and tough on his kids. He makes excuses for himself and he pities himself and his insecurity causes him to take out his frustrations on his children. But Jesus, he's tough for us and he's tender with us. And we need to be like Jesus because we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So for our children and the next generation, we need to be tough for them and tender with them. I love this picture of a Marine that I saw on Twitter, Ray Ortland's a pastor, and he said, uh, this is a magnificent portrait of true manhood, both strength to comfort and strength to defend. Never predatory, always sacrificial. I love this. In the same picture, you have a Marine who is deadly and dangerous, skilled and armed, ready to destroy the enemy, and another Marine who's just as dangerous, who's using his strength to comfort an innocent little baby. That's true masculinity. That's the way Jesus loves us. He's tough for us, and he's tender with us. And a good dad lives out the love of Jesus for his children. I think what God wants to do is is kind of exemplified in Malachi 4. It says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Think about this. We live in a world today where fathers abandon their children and fail their children. They wouldn't say it, but functionally, they hate their children and because kids have been wounded they actually hate their fathers and what God does is he wants to restore and return the hearts of fathers directed towards their children and he wants to turn the hearts of children back towards their fathers and he does that to bring healing to the land you see how much destruction there is in our land because of fatherlessness and brokenness God wants to restore and he wants to establish bold men who lead healthy households And he's raising up men at our church to be that kind of man. And as we close with this, I'll just say, you think about this. Jesus came from the Father to show us the Father and lead us back in relationship to the Father. Through Jesus, we experience the love of the Father lived out before our very eyes. And every single person in our church, you need to understand If you don't have Jesus, you haven't experienced true unfailing love that comes from the Father. And there could be people at church today, maybe you've considered yourself a Christian, or you got some kind of baptism certificate, but you know in your heart you're not all in. You know you've been on the fence. You know it's been lukewarm. It's been half-hearted. You've been testing the waters, but you haven't dove in. And today is the day for you to go all in with the Lord. You will never, ever find satisfaction that lasts or true joy until you receive Jesus. People try. They try sex, power, wealth, sex, everything. I mean, everything. More sex. You know, they think like, if I get all these things the world has to offer, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be fulfilled. It doesn't work, does it? You get like fleeting, lasting pleasure for a moment, and then it's gone. You get a promotion, and you feel good about yourself for a day, and then you get right back into the same slump. 
And we see the effects of this constant searching and longing for more and how people are just hopeless and empty. The answer is Jesus. He's the only one who satisfies. That's why he said, if you, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. That's what he offers us, satisfaction that lasts. So maybe there are people here today you need to receive Jesus. If you're willing, would you just bow your heads for a minute? Would you close your eyes in Mesa, our campuses online? And maybe God's speaking to your heart today, and you know you need to receive Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe for real for the first time. If that's you, I want to lead you in this moment of prayer. Would you just pray with me? And if you mean this genuinely, I know God will hear it. But just pray, God, I need you, and I ask you to save me. I believe in Jesus, that he lived the perfect life I could never live, that he died the death to pay the price that I deserve to pay, and that he rose again so I could have victory and receive favor I didn't earn I accept Jesus. I trust in him to save me. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I thank you, God, for loving me unfailingly. And I ask that you would lead me for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.